Hi, my name is Tony Bennett and it is my privilege to direct and narrate this episode of the Tough Love and Second Chances podcast. This is the story of Andy Stevenson. Andy has carved out a career in broadcasting and production with the BBC, Channel 4 and his own podcast aptly named The Winning Mindset. Andy's Twitter profile simply states that he was born without a full complement of limbs, but neglects to say that he has many other attributes that have turned him into the man that he's become. This is a story of his upbringing, his first forays into journalism and subsequently broadcasting, and how sport has been one of the cornerstones on which he's built his life. Broadcaster and TV producer Andy Stevenson describes himself on his Twitter profile as being born without a full complement of limbs. What Andy modestly omits from his profile is his full complement of career highs so far. Just as he was inspired by great figures in UK broadcasting as a boy, we hope his unique story can inspire a few youngsters to consider not only giving golf a try, but serious journalism too. Andy was born in 1981 with no hands, very short arms above the elbow, and only one fully formed leg. He also has a curvature of the spine. You can only try to imagine how the family coped, but Andy grew up in a loving household, had a good education, and achieved a university degree before going on to forge a career in sports broadcasting, in production and reporting, working for both the BBC and Channel 4. This has included lots of football reporting, but also golf. Last December, he presented the DP World Tour Championship for the BBC Radio 5 Live, and the Paralympic Summer and Winter Editions in London, Rio, and Pyeongchang. In 2018, he was named as one of the 100 most influential people with a disability in the UK by the Shaw Trust. And in March 2020, just before the pandemic, Andy spoke at the United Nations Human Rights Council in Geneva about disability representation in the media industry. If he has arrived career-wise, the blunt question might be, how? The supportive upbringing is one thing, and he was clearly highly resilient in learning how to cope physically and mentally as a young boy. He made friends well through the rough and tumble of playing football in the schoolyard, encouraged by his parents who hid their nerves very well. They helped him to keep going and instill the sense of real perspective, unusual for a young lad. Perspective is a word that crops up a lot in this interview. And then I came along, as I say, in, in March 81, and I was born with um, no hands. Uh, my arms are very, very short, well above elbow level. And my right leg is standard but my left leg is only down to above knee level and I have a small foot on the end of that leg which um, I was born with it pointing down which actually turned out to be a handy thing when it came to uh, getting into prosthetics and artificial legs um, and I also had a slight curvature of the spine so I wore a, a, a brace kind of jacket thing until I was about 12 to try and keep that under control and, and thank god it did I, I, I never required um, spinal surgery but yeah so you know i i came into the world with only one of my four limbs the way it should be listening to his crystal clear reporting and presentations today and you gather he is a thinker which will assist in his career 
but will also have helped him problem solve as a lad, the day he worked out a better way to hold his pen, for example. Crystal clear thinking will have perhaps helped him to look into the future and understand that he could actually have a good one. Andy was born in Northern Ireland. His parents, Anne and John, moved to Newtonards near Belfast from England to work at the ill-fated DeLorean car plant in the late 1970s. When Andy was born, after the initial shock for Anne and John, they spent some time wondering why. He was too young for thalidomide to be responsible. But after a short while, they decided only to look to the future positively and concentrate on the how. Getting the answers, they decided not to dwell on, on the past and why it had happened, and they decided to focus on uh, raising me and loving me and instilling this attitude of just having a go at things. So I was very, very fortunate to have parents who, um, not they didn't push me, I wouldn't say they ever pushed me, but they, they massively encouraged and supported me to just... I went to a mainstream school, for example, and I went to university and I looked into to driving a car, which I, I can do now, and um, you know, and I had a decent circle of friends, and they they just they just encouraged me to try to have as normal life as possible, and just to have as positive attitude as possible. And my mum, in particular, would always say, you know, there are lots of people worse off than you, and she wasn't saying it in a nasty way, you know, she was saying it in a you know, have a perspective, Andy, on the things you can do and, and the things lots of other people can't do. I don't know whether this was like a deliberate lesson they taught me, but I, I grew up with this idea that actually everybody has a disability of some kind and mine, you could argue, are reasonably extreme. They're certainly very visible. They're, they're something that people notice straight away. But actually, you know, people might suffer from a bad back or they might have dyslexia or they might be short-sighted or... Um, you know, they might have spina bifida or be in a wheelchair, not be able to walk. And so I had this constant sense of perspective flying around in my head that, okay, Andy, you can't do X, but you can do Y. Or you can do X, not maybe 100%, but you can, you can do it in some shape or form. He loved sport as a kid. From a toddler, Andy supported Liverpool Football Club and he played football with his pals every single playtime. It scared his mum as he had lots of falls without being able to protect his head as well as the others could. One time, he ended up in hospital with a doctor informing the now scared 10-year-old Andy, with his mum out of the room, that he had fractured his skull. It turned out to be a scratch on the x-ray. You know, I think mum and dad could quite easily have turned around at that point, and not that it was a playground injury or a footballing injury, but they could have said, look, Andy, you know, we can't have you tearing around playing football at lunchtime. But they didn't, you know, they, they, they sort of probably swallowed whatever fears they had and let me crack on, uh, <laughs> excuse the pun, but they, they let me carry on. Sadly, Anne Stevenson died of ovarian cancer in 2019, but her values meant so much then and now to Andy, as does the support of his father and his younger sister, Michelle, who both live in Newbury, Berkshire. They had tried Andy with full artificial arms when he was three or four, but he didn't like using these. Later, he would find arm prosthetics that his upper arms could slip into with a metal attachment that allowed him to hold a pen. Relatively effective, but these made him stand out in lessons just when he was trying to fit in with his classmates and he needed assistance in putting them on. 
Then came a life-changing breakthrough. And there was one lesson where, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but I lost or I misplaced the bag with these things in. And I turned up at the lesson without my artificial arm sockets. And um, I just held a pen against the side of my shirt. And the shirt sleeve was sort of just about tight enough to kind of hold it. And it was a, it was a kind of eureka moment. I thought, well, hold on. If, if, if there's some way of just attaching this pen slightly more firmly, I don't need these, these sockets. In the end, Andy found that wearing a tennis-style wristband, the kind that you can buy from any sports shop, was the best solution, one he relies on to this very day. Using it, he can grip a pen, fork, spoon, and he always makes sure that he has a wristband with him as well as spares in his car and at home. Apart from the practical benefit, it made him look at himself in a new way, being an important reminder of what he could do rather than what he couldn't. Growing up, I told people I had no arms, but as I became older, and this comes back to this perspective business, I realised, no, actually I do have arms, and, and I, the arms I have make a huge difference to me in terms of what I can do. It's hard to imagine how Andy as a young boy and later a young adult coped in the pressurised environment of school, when even a kid who might need thick lenses in his spectacles or is a little overweight might get picked on mercilessly by his peers. Andy's confidence from his parents to join in in the schoolyard may have been one factor and his intelligence and love for sport another. Before we address bullying, Let's see where this love of sport has taken him. Like quite a few BBC sports reporters, Andy's early heroes as a boy included two famous British TV sports broadcasters, presenter Des Lynham and commentator Barry Davis. Yeah, well, it goes right back to when I was a child. I think, um, I think all of us who are interested in sport grow up wanting and dreaming of being a footballer or a golfer or, you know, a, an athlete of some kind. And I think... Um, everybody probably hits that moment where they realise that's actually not going to happen. And for me, that happened a bit sooner. So I think, um, either consciously or subconsciously, I think I probably started thinking about, well, how can I still work in sport if I'm not going to play it competitively? And, and, and uh, media was the thing. So I started off wanting to be a, a newspaper reporter in sport, but I went off to university at Warwick and got involved in the student radio. And it was a... Um, a light bulb moment as they say because I I realized that it was so much fun talking about sport reporting on sport rather than having to write about it and um, it's all a bit more immediate and live and you know you don't have sort of deadlines as such and you're not having to come up with a thousand words by six o'clock the next morning or whatever and um, so I thought right radio is my thing and that set me off down a path where I went and did a postgrad course in journalism as you say, worked, had five very happy years at BBC Radio Berkshire, my local um, BBC station, met my now wife there as well, um, worked on a lot of the sports output, reading the bulletins and um, going to the odd uh, Reading football training session or in fact, golfing wise, actually, it was a great patch because I would be sent to Wentworth for the PGA Championship and the um, match play at the time um, back then. Andy and his wife Julia now live in Datchet, Berkshire. They have known each other for 15 years since those BBC Radio Berkshire days. After that first stint in local radio, 
Andy moved into television and what he considers his dream job. Working on production on the BBC Sports Personality of the Year show and various sports documentaries, including an obituary programme on the great Severiano Ballesteros. More recently, his TV production career has focused on the Paralympics, first with Channel 4 ahead of Rio in 2016, and since then as a series producer at an independent production company, Whisper, where he helped deliver Channel 4's coverage of the 2018 Winter Paralympics in Pyeongchang. He's in the midst of his preparations for this year's Tokyo Paralympics. Alongside this, he's kept up his radio work, reporting for BBC Radio 5 Live at the London 2012 Paralympics, the 2014 Commonwealth Games and Rio 2016 Paralympics. And you can often hear Andy on the radio or on BBC One's final score as a football reporter. And now as I get to a certain age where I think, OK, um, things have gone well, but now I sort of need and want to work out what's going to define my career I find myself edging towards the broadcasting and wanting to do more of that so as you say the most regular broadcasting I do at the moment is um, football reporting maybe sort of three Saturdays a month something like that and um, it's fantastic and particularly over this last year during the lockdown just it's all done very safely and just the ability to get out and go and watch a football match a it's a huge release and relief actually sort of mental health wise to just get out and do something that feels quite normal and of course I realise it's a massive privilege because I'm sat there at grounds and I'm looking around at 20, 30,000 empty seats and thinking wow you know all these people would be desperate to be here watching this game that I'm watching now so um, yeah particularly over the last year it's been a real sort of lifeline doing those football games. In an exciting new departure in 2020, Andy interviewed various British Paralympians on Zoom from his own dining room, which led to him becoming the host of the International Paralympic Committee's first ever podcast called A Winning Mindset, Lessons from the Paralympics, in association with Allianz. Andy has presented around 20 episodes so far, talking to some of the world's greatest athletes. His curriculum vitae has been created by a winning mindset, an undaunting personality. When asked about bullying in his life, it seems that it's adults rather than children who have caused Andy the most pain. I feel as though I can say I was never bullied because I was never physically bullied or anything particularly nasty like that. Um, but uh, what I can say is, and because it, it still happens today as an adult, is that people certainly looked at me or stared at me, nudged their friends about me, pointed at me, and quite often laughed about me. You know, they, that's that's the worst. And actually, it's 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 the worst now. Actually, when it happens as an adult, um, because you, I notice it more. I have to say, it's usually men. It's usually young men together just looking for a point of weakness in anybody that they can sort of poke fun at would be they notice me, they look at me and then they just can't stop making jokes about me between them or laughing about me between them and perhaps they think I haven't spotted it, perhaps they don't really care if I have or not but usually I, I will spot it. So I guess, you know, ultimately that that's bullying, isn't it? And that's that's happened to me throughout my life but I, I again I would try to look at the positive side of that and the kind of optimistic side of that and say 
touch wood it's never gone beyond that and I've developed a relatively thick skin to 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 try and ignore some of that one day a couple of years ago when on a meal out with Julia Andy saw some guys looking over and laughing at him later when two of them were having a cigarette outside on an impulse Andy confronted the ringleader the men were embarrassed and apologised they were an ice hockey team on a night out and when Andy having commentated on some of the team's matches a few years prior was able to name the club chairman manager and captain all the colour drained from the face of the panicked drinker he realised that the man he'd been mocking shortly before now held all the power five minutes later he turns up at, at the table where I'm now sat with my wife having, having a meal and he bought me a pint and he said I just want to leave that with you I'm really sorry again and while Andy's mum might have been horrified to hear about that encounter, he also believes that she would have been secretly quite proud of him. Andy puts these issues essentially down to ignorance and unfamiliarity. This hit home in an interesting way when he covered the 2012 Paralympics in London and suddenly there were plenty of people with disability in the area near to the Millennium Stadium. With London, I was walking around, you know, Westfield Shopping Centre and the, and the Olympic Park. Nobody looked at me. I mean, it was absolutely, it was almost surreal. You know, I'd never, I'd never experienced just going about my business without anybody looking at me. It was, and it was because they'd seen a guy with no arms and no legs, like in the swimming pool 20 minutes earlier, winning a medal. So coming out and seeing me, who obviously I was wearing my official leg at the time, so... You know, you have to look pretty carefully to see what's going on there. But seeing me with, say, just no hands <laughs> today, it's like, well, that's fine, you know. That's <laughs> to be expected. So that was, you know, that's quite an interesting experience. And that's why integration is important, you know, particularly at schools. Because if kids are surrounded, well, not surrounded, they're never going to be surrounded. We're, all, we're always going to be a minority, I guess. But if, if kids have disabled people around them in the playground or in the cl in their classes or whatever in their friendship groups kids don't bat an eyelid if they if they if they grow up with that they'll be just like well that's just andy um and uh, yeah i think it's just it's so vital and why integration and kind of mainstream schools and things like this are so so important during the last summer of covid19 andy found himself meeting up with an old flame of his the sport of golf as a teenager, Andy's first forays were using a broom handle putter to take his dad's putts when he played. They met Terry Gosden, the then PGA pro at Tidworth Golf Club, and he made Andy a few long clubs and gave him lessons every Saturday morning for a while when he was about 15. Comes back to perspective. When I use a putter, I've got no wobbly wrists, no wobbly elbows. I'm not the world's best putter, but it is definitely the strongest element of my game because the way I hold the club between you know shoulder chin and then I rest my right arm under the club it's actually quite sturdy and because I don't have those wobbly joints I've got a fairly sort of straight and true putting stroke and a, and a sort of decent feel so you know putting I don't feel any disadvantage to 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 anyone Andy would play mainly on par three courses with his dad and their friends hitting a good ball 100 yards or so from the tee. Shots off the fairway are 
more tricky for me and that's something I'm going to be investigating um, in the in the coming months to try and improve my technique there but then as I say once I got round the green you know my chipping and putting was good so if I went and played with my dad or my friends they might reach the green one or two shots ahead of me but I would usually sort of try and you know, I would usually get pretty close to making that up around the greens and I just I fell in love with the with the game really but actually to bring it right up to date it was only last summer during the pandemic where I just fell in love with golf again to be honest it became my source of exercise my source of fresh air um, just so happened that, that that one of my best mates was kind of free job wise I mean I was on furlough he was free job wise and we would be able to meet up a little bit more regularly so it became a, a social thing and a way of um, keeping in touch with him and seeing him and we found we found an absolute gem of a par 3 course called Ampfield down near Winchester it's an 18 hole par 3 course designed by Hen uh, Sir Henry Cotton it's a lovely lovely course just perfect distance for me and it was just brilliant it was a, it was a fantastic summer actually of playing golf Andy says that golf is his perfect exercise he never had the pace or stamina for football so on a par three course, the walk, short rest, walk, then rest again, is great for his needs. While the fresh air and time for thinking has given him an opportunity to self-reflect and think about his whole life. He clearly feels he owes a debt to his early coach, Terry Gosden, and recently he and his dad tracked him down at the Allsford Golf Club in Hampshire, 25 years after they'd first worked together. It was just so great to see him and it was great for my dad to be able to see him again. It was interesting, as soon as he watched my 2020 swing, if I can call it that, he immediately, like immediately went, your clubs are too short, they need lengthening. And I'm thinking, well, I haven't, I haven't grown since I was about 18 years old, you know? And he said, no, no, but it's, it's not so much that, it's just the way you're sort of almost hunching over um, the club is no good. You need to be able to stand back a little bit and have a much wider swing, particularly off the tee. And he spotted that straight away and, and, and put it right. Andy believes that golf can be a sport that leads the way in terms of integration between players with a disability and mainstream players. The golf handicap system means that friends, family and rivals can compete on even terms. While even at the elite end, he has been impressed to see players like Brendan Lawler competing in the same tournaments as household golf names. Andy would love to see an event like the Open Championship accommodate a day where players with disability could compete at the same course in the international spotlight to help spread the awareness. And of course the, natu the, the, natural, the natural end of that is that you end up with enough disabled golfers in all corners of the world so that the Paralympic Committee have to then allow golf into the Paralympics because I think that would, as you well know, and I know people have spent years and years campaigning for it, that would be a massive moment for disability golf if it was allowed into the Paralympics. Having produced and reported at three Paralympic Games and preparing for Tokyo 2021, Andy is not only an advocate of all the benefits of the Games to create a more tolerant, wiser society, 
But through his job, he's able to report on the dedication, self-sacrifice, skill and passion of the athletes taking part. I think in the sporting world, and particularly the Paralympic world, I'm not sure the Paralympic athletes um, get the credit they deserve or the respect they deserve in the sense of I'm not sure the ordinary person in the street realises that the Paralympic athletes train just as hard as their Olympic counterparts and actually you could make an argument that they're probably training even harder because of various impairments or obstacles they have in their own ordinary life which they have to get over as well before they even get to the running track or the swimming pool or wherever wherever it is. He appreciates the achievements of Germany's Marcus Rem, the multiple gold medal winner in the long jump known as the blade jumper. And he was also a prosthetist in his working career. Andy has interviewed him for the Winning Mind podcast. And to say he's pushed the boundaries is an understatement because his, um, I've just got to get this right. There have been occasions where his winning distances to win medals in the Paralympics or the Para World Athletics Championships have been longer than the distances that have won the Olympic title. Um, people say this is because he jumps off the blade and the blade is giving him that extra propulsion. He would say that um, it's it undermines his ability and you know he's he's a physical specimen. He, he he works out and he he can sprint very very quickly. He's got an amazing jumping technique. It cannot simply all be down to the blade. And he has made attempts to be allowed to compete in the Olympics, which in itself is also controversial, by the way. And we could be here a long time if we get into that. But I respect Marcus so much because he's actually pushed the boundaries of Paralympic sports so far that it's gone beyond Olympic sports. In terms of the in terms of those distances, and he wants to be recognised alongside the Olympians without ever turning his back on the Paralympics. It should be said he doesn't he, he doesn't want to you know forget about his Paralympic achievements to become an Olympian. I think he wants he wants to do both. Andy might not have the speed and energy of the Paralympians he reports on in his job, but nevertheless his own voice as a journalist is helping him to raise awareness of sport for the disabled in an excellent fashion. Technology helps him today from driving a modified car to the latest sound and IT software to help his reporting and creating his podcast. He believes this technology can help modern families to face the challenge when they have a baby with limb reduction issues. So I think my main advice would be, um, as I say, try to retain that sense of balance and perspective on everything. And, and whilst it's hard, you're going to have to accept that some things, you know, some avenues might just not be possible, but make the most of other ones. And, yeah, I think, I think, I think, yeah, I suppose I would just repeat, <laughs> I would repeat sort of what my mum said to me, which is that there, there are, there are people in far worse situations and, and they're not necessarily situations to do with disability, they're situations to do with poverty or war or sickness and actually maybe being born with, you know, one hand or one leg missing is, is absolutely not, not the end of the world, particularly in this, in this modern age. There is that word perspective again. His mum and dad instinctively instilled this thinking. If the rest of us had more of it, we could all have 
a winning mindset, couldn't we? My sincere thanks to our writer, Ben Evans. For more information about Edgar, please visit edgargolf.com and please stay tuned for the next episode of the Tough Love and Second Chances podcast.